Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the XX Mormon Podcast. We are delighted and excited to be gathered here on this beautiful Sabbath day. The sun is shining and the birds are chirping, and the Lord is singing in our hearts. Of course, up here on the stand presiding is Bishop Jensen, and we are joined once again by Brother Porter, who has joined us for our continued discussion on simulacra and simulation. Bishop Jensen, uh, with that uh, wonderful introduction, if I do say so myself, I will turn the time over to you. Okay, I can remember one time uh, as a missionary, like we got set up. And so we had somebody come invite us over, but then like, their priest was also there. Yeah, like, oh, shit, right? Yeah. And, and one thing the priest said is he's like, you know, you read the Book of Mormon, and you would basically think that Mormonism is like any other Protestant church. Mm-hmm. Everything in the Book of Mormon is just Protestant teachings. Yeah. And nothing about the real Mormonism is taught in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, you've got no polygamy, eternal families, baptisms for the dead. Uh, he gives this kind of list. And I was like, well, we got all that stuff from the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like Abraham multi- had multiple wives in this obscure teaching in Corinthians about baptisms for the dead. Ha ha. I'm so funny. Um, but what this guy was, was hitting on, I think, is this simulation of Mormonism that exists over the reality yeah. of Mormonism. Is that the Book of Mormon is not really relevant to the hyper-reality of contemporary Mormonism mm-hmm. and, and you can read the doctrine and covenants and there's not a lot of what is in Mormon scripture that is really in present day Mormonism. And I think that the Mormon church is a little bit unique when it comes to simulation and simulacra because the LDS church has a disproportionately strong media arm mm-hmm. compared to other religions. Yeah. Um, when you consider how small the membership base is, compared to how many high quality, um, high production value uh, videos there are on YouTube. Yeah. You, you know, like if you want to see the New Testament in film or the Old Testament in film, I'd say probably the LDS videos are of the highest production quality. Like yeah. the Catholic Church isn't kicking this kind of stuff out. No. Uh, you know, the Baptist churches and other Protestant churches aren't. And so because of the, the church, I think because it's a modern religion, and it tapped into media very, very quickly, it creates these simulacra and creates a simulation of its own religion to the point where actual contemporary Mormonism has nothing to do with what I call the reality of Mormonism, which would be the original teachings of Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, kind of the foundational texts. Yeah. I wonder yeah. how many people end up going to other Christian churches after watching uh, like an LDS church production, you know, they're like, oh, I like Jesus. And then they go to, to another church. And so the other churches are like, we'll let them keep doing that. Like, yeah, yeah. You, know? <laughs> you keep, you keep making the, the Easter video for us. We'll keep taking right. converts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I think most people, when they get to a Mormon church, they're like, or at least when they get like further into it, when they start really learning about it, they're like, oh, you're not, exactly protestant and so yeah yeah, they what we're talking about today is like how it started out as like protestant and then mormonism slowly devolved into like its own thing its own branch of christianity and then now 
it's even further removed from itself. That's what we talked about in the last episode as a bit of a review, which you will want to listen to that episode before listening to this one. Um, but is is that there's the real thing and then there's like a representation of that thing and it gets further and further removed until it's just pure simulacra. Is that a good explanation, Bishop? They, yeah. And so when it gets to that stage, they call it hyper real, where the simulacra and the simulation of reality is more relevant than the actual reality. Right. And I think for a lot of people who've left the church, like when when people find uncomfortable things about church history, the reality, that's where the hyper real bumps up against the real. Yeah. And I was, oh, go I was, ahead. Yeah. No, like you guys talking about film productions. I don't know if you guys ever went to Salt Lake. They may still be making it that or showing it that movie Legacy. Yeah. Like, you know, you go down to Temple Square and you get this whole overwhelming experience. You have this beautiful temple, the beautiful temple grounds. You get to go see that statue of Jesus Christ, all white. You know, it's, you know, this phenomenal you know, piece of artwork. And then you go watch that movie. And it's just funny, right? Because you watching the movie, it's, it might as well be like a DC, you know, Marvel film at this point. Because it's just the way they, you know, mischaracterize everything. But there's no discussion. There's no quotes of, you know, the racist things they said, all the horrible things that went on. They're just these victimized heroes, these people that just had so much courage. And look at what they went through. And you leave the film going, oh, my gosh, how horrible these poor Mormons, you know, these mm-hmm. poor Mormon people, what they went through. But like you said, then you read the actual history and you're like, well, I don't know if they were really victims after all. Uh, you know, and you start reading the quotes and you go, wow, this is this is pretty racist or misogynistic. And, yeah, you know, it's like you said, it's just funny. That movie is such a fake, I feel like, representation of what happened, you know, in some of those areas. Yeah. But because it's so legacy becomes the reality. Yeah. Yeah. And that that other video they showed in the theater, the one about Joseph Smith. Yeah. Um, yeah. That becomes the hyper real of Joseph Smith right. to the point where to a Mormon, the reality of Joseph Smith doesn't matter anymore. What matters is what the church has told them, the That's hyper the real that they've created. Yeah. I like yes. the testimony, right. That comes with that. The people have these emotional experiences that they confuse as a spiritual confirmation. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. they leave with what they feel like is they tell themselves is like a testimony that this was all true. Now this whole work of fiction they watched is now, a truth. I don't know. I don't know if I'm, if that's kind of where we're going like that just seems like such a, just a massive disconnect from reality with what they do. But and that, well, that that's where people end up losing their testimony is, is they watch these videos of Joseph Smith, the prophet, they feel the spirit testify that it's true. And then they find out that nothing that they watched or learned actually happened. Yeah. 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 But I think with the, the observed phenomena of simulation and simulacra is that it kind of distinguishes itself from an intentional fraud where it's that this is something it's layers upon layers of imitations of reality that nobody's like purposefully trying to deceive. It's everybody's giving their own spin off and their own take on things Yeah, that it becomes real to everybody. Yeah. And so people always talk about like the, the general authorities must know the church is not true. They must know. Yeah. And they're intentionally deceiving us. And there's this wicked conspiracy. And I don't think it's that at all, is that there are these layers and layers of simulation that have built up over years and years where it's like they don't know. And that was what happened with the subprime lending crisis was that these financial instruments became so complicated that the bankers who were trading them didn't know that they were going to destroy the banks they were working for by trading them. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> so with the church, I don't think that when the church takes these stances on homosexuality or on race or whatever, they don't realize that they're accelerating the destruction of the church. They're so deep within the simulation, the simulated hyper real, yeah. that they think they're actually doing the Lord's work. There's yeah. one thing that Baudrillard says is he's like, what is the difference between a crazy person and a regular person who simulates insanity? You would have to be crazy to simulate insanity. Hmm. Yeah. So what's the difference between someone who's actually called of God and someone who believes and acts like he is called of God? What? Well, there is no difference. He has right. created his own hyper real of being right. a prophet of God. And, yeah. and he legitimately believes right. that he right. is a prophet of God and that he is. And you can see how Nelson, I think, in the way he talks. Oh, he believes it. That hype. He believes He's it. He's totally convinced. He's created this hyper real. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I'd say the way Monson and, and Hinckley and Benson, I don't know about Benson, and then Kimball, they, they didn't think they were like Joseph Smith. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where Nelson, Nelson thinks he is he <laughs> thinks he's Joseph Smith. Yeah. 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 And and what's the difference between someone who thinks that God's talking to them versus someone who God is actually talking to? Nothing. He's yeah. simulating what he thinks would happen if God spoke to him. Yeah. 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 Right? yeah. And he's so convinced that everything that happens has to be related to that right yeah you know his his thought in the middle of the night of oh i should do this blah 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 why don't we do this like that's revelation instead of oh what an what an interesting idea right like making making home teaching less structured isn't a bad idea right like making it this more free-flowing you know hey just show up and look out for people like that's not a bad idea but they call it revelation because that's what they're like. That's what he's primed to th think it is, right? Yeah. One, you can see Bednar actually dis discards the real. He openly discards the real. Yeah. In favor of the hyper real. Yeah. When, like, he was when he, in the press conference, and and they're asking him about church membership statistics, and they're saying the church claims to be one of the fastest growing American religions, but these statistics actually say the church membership is shrinking and he says he says i will not answer this question as an academic or a statistician which i used to be but i'll answer it as an apostle of the lord so yeah. he's saying i am discarding your reality for the hyper real yeah and he he's <laughs> saying i am discarding my reality my training the things that i know and that i'm familiar yeah. with in order to give this apologetic I don't think he's giving an apologetic. He's saying he's presenting the hyper real, which he right, lives in. Right, right. He doesn't think he's being dishonest. Like what we see as outsiders, he doesn't see that. Yeah. He's in the simulation. He is in the hyper real. Yeah. And so when people are like, he's being dishonest and he's being facetious, he's just, it's like, no, guys, he has created this hyper reality he with really the information that. that he's being given or the information that he's taking from the church. And he's saying, I believe in our numbers. Yeah. Well, and so what you what what you can continue to see too, is is that people, um, eventually the people who run the church, uh, are going to be like, yeah, gay gay, gay marriage is totally cool, you know, um, and when it gets to that point, 
they're going to be saying it's always been like that. Joseph Smith was a free loving. He, you know, he had this secret relationship with Porter Rockwell. Uh, congratulations, Porter <laughs> hey, Rockwell. Hey. You know, like even That's even if, episode. <laughs> even if Joseph Smith never had that like secret gay relationship, I bet you. If so, there there are two groups of people in the church. There's like the nuanced people and the fundamentalist people. Whoever ends up taking over, which I hope it's the nuanced people, because there's a lot of money in the church, and I don't want <laughs> fundamentalists to have that much money at their disposal. Um, but if it ends up being the nuanced people taking over, they're going to start instead of like hiding from this reality. They're gonna that Joseph Smith had a sex cult. They're going to be like, yeah, free loving Joseph Smith loved everybody, you know, and they're going to use that to their advantage. And that's going to be like, that's always been the story. That's all like, you know, that's always how it's been. It's like miracle of forgiveness. What? Like masturbation makes you gay. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've, I've never heard of this. I've been a member of the church my whole life. I've never heard of this. That's what they're, that's what it's going to be. And like over time, they'll recreate the hyper real by slowly pushing these things down the memory hole. And I think people talk about that like it's some kind of insidious conspiracy when really it's like, well, one thing, it's in the big short, the movie, where uh, like Ryan Gosling's character says, tell me the difference between uh, fraudulent and stupid and I'll have my wife's brother arrested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Is that, no, they're just, and, and like it was just amazing. There's this one part in the big short, it's a whole chapter in the book but it's um it's like a five minute scene in the movie where this lady's talking about how like this one guy who worked for Morgan Stanley saw that he needed to get he was short he was cynical enough to see the problem in the the housing market and he started getting short positions but he wasn't cynical enough to realize the complete disaster so he didn't get enough short positions and he ended up losing like eighteen billion dollars for Morgan Stanley hmm. because he's just stupid yeah and and it's like. That's when there is nobody in the church. I am convinced there's nobody in the church smart enough to to do the conspiratorial things that ex Mormons accuse the church of doing. Yeah, well, and we're we're gonna get into ex Mormon simulation and simulacra uh, next week, which I'm very excited for that episode because uh, everybody's kind of guilty of this. One of my favorite uh, simulations in the church, though, is the temple. Um, coming soon to VR goggles near you. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine? That's gonna. That's the future. Uh, I agree. I would not even be surprised the, if they do a VR because they're ceremony. they're gonna say they're gonna say the revelation of the temp of our homes being temples is coming true, and mm. now for only thirty nine ninety nine. On PlayStation 16, you can get the temple experience on your VR headset. Um, yeah, that's it's it's gonna happen. But before we get there, uh, this the temple's already uh, quite the simulation. Bishop, you've got uh, some thoughts on that, I know. Well, I think like um, the temple itself is a simulacra. It's this representation of heaven, um, and then the temple ceremony. Is a, it's a simulation, and it's supposed to simulate the experience of progressing from from a fallen man to godhood, right? And entering back into full presence and fellowship with God. But over time, they've made copies and bastardizations of the temple ceremony to the point where 
we're making these hand clasps and making these hand gestures and they used to mean something, but now they mean nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like the one where you hold your left hand out in cupping shape and your hand up with the thumb extended. That was like the blade you used to use to cut your throat and your stomach with in the hand in cupping shape was where you'd hold your entrails. Yeah. And that well, was meant to, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I don't know if you guys had the anointing where they actually, like, when I did mine, it was back when I had no clothes on underneath the, the like, that weird robe thing with the sides open. And so I had this old man just, you know, having his way with me, basically, yeah. with the oil. And he'd just kind of stand there. But I didn't mean to get off just another thing in the temple that was just an odd experience. But I've even noticed with that on the ex-Mormon you know, Reddit on you know on the Reddit sub, people act like that didn't exist. And there's been a lot of posts where people say, Did that really happen? I'm yeah. Like, yeah, it was there. I know yeah. for a fact that I went through it. It was awful and awkward and bizarre. But you know, that like little things like that had even changed in my lifetime to where yeah. it's like what I went through now is question is did that even happen? And like uh, yeah, yeah, it did. It was yeah. there. <laughs> I had to wear um like they gave me a rental pair of one piece garments. Mm. That you use same as what you'd use for baptisms hmm. and because i couldn't wear like real garments yet so but i was in 2006 i was just after the changeover so i can remember being touched on different parts of my body but i think it was over the shield not under um but i think like that was i know it's like weird and uncomfortable stuff in the temple but that was the real yeah and that whole ceremony meant something yeah yeah well and as they and when i went through i i was in my temple clothes and they they like anoint your forehead or whatever like or they put like water on your forehead that's like the washing is they just like dabbed your forehead with water and put a little oil on the crown of your head and then Mm -hmm. and then they're just i bless this i bless it and they like don't even touch you Mm -hmm. like you just you just stand there I, re- I remember, yeah, I can remember when they changed to temple clothes because I can remember the first few times when I do washings and anointings, even by proxy. I would still have to wear the shield and stuff like that, but I'd wear my own regular garments. And then after a while, I remember going back another time. They're like, no, 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 you don't need to put the shield on again. And I was like, why not? <laughs> like, didn't this mean something? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and now it's to the point where I even posted on the Mormon subreddit, like, what do these things mean? And I mentioned a few things. I'm like the three tassels on the, the cap and the, 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 the thing that would connect from the cap to the shoulder. And why do we have to change it from the left and the right? And, yeah. And, Which they don't pe- even do anymore. They don't change it from the left to the right anymore. Right. Because they've created more simulacra. They, yeah. the, the temple ceremony being a simulacra. Now the temple ceremony only represents the temple ceremony. Yeah. Well, it doesn't represent it. It's become like it, it's a corporation, right? They, they simplify and simplify and simplify because they used to also, I mean, you look at the older temples and they're these big, beautiful, incredible, impressive buildings. Like you think about how the yeah. people, you know, spent 40 years building the Salt Lake Temple. That like that's mm-hmm. actually insane. Like the Salt Lake Temple mm-hmm. is an impressive structure. Yeah right? Both from the time period and just architecturally, right? Like the stones they used, the way they built it, the the symbolism all over the building inside and out, like it's actually impressive. And then you get to like the Edmonton temple, which is one of the mini temples, and you're sitting in the room and it feels like you're in Jesus's basement. 
right? Yeah. Like watching watching his his like uh, his family home <laughs> videos, right? And and so then it gets further and further removed from something that like even even if it is all BS, it was at least like beautiful and had meaning yeah. for the people. And then it gets further and further removed to the point like you don't go up anymore. There's no like there's no literal progression right mm -hmm. it's just like no we're moving you through these rooms and then you go to mount timpanogos ugliest temple on the inside i like you but you're sitting in this room with like 160 other people and you just sit there the whole time there's no progression like they removed that Between symbolism rooms. there's no yeah. art on the walls it you're literally sitting in a chapel and they play this movie you do some weird handshakes and weird hand signs that you have no idea what they mean and then, yeah. oh, here, now go sit in this white room and, like, I don't know, meditate or something. And actually, no, get out quick because we've got other people coming through. Yeah, right? they push you out, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, so, like, when are they going to have a drive through temple? That's that's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it used to be this ceremony about progression, progressing towards being God. And now, mm -hmm. like, even when I posted that on the Mormon server, there were a lot of comments that came back and said it's up to the member to create their own meaning. Right, which is basically uh, Elder J Elder Jackson. You said this to me: is that you're told the temple is a secret, and then when you get there, it's like, "What's the secret?" And they say, "It's a secret." Yeah, yeah. that's the secret. <laughs> yeah. And that's like an ex example of pure simulacra, where the simulacra has come to represent itself. Yeah, and no reality anymore. Is that what's the secret of the temple? What's the meaning of the temple? It's meaningful and it's secret. Yeah, but what is the secret? It's a secret. You got to figure that out for yourself. <laughs> it's like, but what is the secret? There's a secret. <laughs> well, did you guys have this experience too? Because I remember when I was going through, I was for my mission. So I was younger, you know, maybe like 18 at the time, almost 19. And all I had for as, as far as temple prep was someone came by and he was a family friend. You know, my parents had known forever. And I think they made me watch a video. It was this, you know, cheesy video the church made. And then the discussion afterwards was, look, there's really no point in asking questions. I'm just going to tell you, it's a really weird experience. You're going to see everyone wearing some weird stuff. Just know that the church is true. That's all I was told no, numerous times. It was, <laughs> I was told this that is going to be very strange. Everyone's yeah. going to be wearing very weird clothes. Just know the church is true. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing. Like, you know, you get there and you're like, okay, what's the big secret? Like you get through that for the first time. And you're like, oh my gosh, what the hell am I? You know, you look around, you got the apron on. You're like, what is happening right now? And then you get through the, every, you know, all the different parts. I remember being in Celestial King, you know, sitting in the Celestial Room and no one ever really told me what the point to any of this was other than, hey, you made it. Now you're yeah. down. Now you've got your garments and let's go get dinner. And then it was like, okay, we're all going to go to Applebee's now and have dinner. You know, yeah. it's like, and then mm -hmm. everyone's sitting around. And I remember just sitting there eating and looking at everyone going, what, what, am I the only one freaked out by what just happened? You know, like this was yeah. really kind of creepy. Like it really messed with my view of the church at the time. But everyone's just sitting there and you know, everyone's got garments on underneath their clothes. But they're just yeah. back to like normal mode and they're just eating dinner and just, you know, shooting the shit. And you're like, this is. Like, how is this normal? And but, but no one seemed to really ever address the good. The only thing I ever got out of the temple was, well, look how beautiful it is. You know, look yeah. at all these, you know, chandeliers are gorgeous. Look how beautiful this room is. But yeah, it's never really been a doctrinal discussion for me or anything either. It's just been kind of this mysterious thing we all do and everyone makes fun of, you know, behind closed doors, but we're all there. You know, yeah. and if you don't do it, you're not a good member. Right, so, okay. right. I don't know how many people I took the covenant to like sacrifice everything for the church down in my life, like seriously. I don't think most people do. No, it it there, and that's like the the hyper real for Mormons. And I think you find this with a lot of things. It's like I need to present 
as a Mormon. Yeah. But yeah. whether or not I actually believe it is irrelevant as long as I'm presenting the right way. Yeah. And so I create this simulacra of myself who wears the white shirt and tie and has the eternal smile and goes to the temple on a regular basis, but doesn't really think about the things that I've committed to. And I think that's where I always felt disaffected as a member of the church is I would read the book of Mormon seriously. Yeah. As if it was the word of God. And I would go to the, when I was a missionary, go to district meetings when, or, or zone conferences, or, you know, after my mission, I'm going to Sunday school and everybody's reading these sound bites out of the book and nobody knows what the book really talks about. They yeah. created this hyper reel of the book. And, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I'm like, you realize Samuel the Lamanite was talking to the members of the church, not the wicked heathens. Mm -hmm. And every like dissertation in the Book of Mormon is written to the wicked Nephites, i.e. members of the church, and not to the other than, you know, the sons of Mosiah preaching to the Lamanites. For the exception of like five chapters, every exhortation, condemnation is directed towards the members of the church. It's a warning to the members of the church not to the wicked evils of the world, but the, the general authorities have created this simulacra of the wicked world. And so everything is within the contents, context of the wicked world and worldliness. Yeah. When the Book of Mormon had nothing to do with that. And I would get dissatisfied with the simulation of Mormonism versus the real Mormonism in the book. Yeah. And I'd yeah. say that's where the fall of my testimony started was me digging into the reality of the scripture and finding out that nobody else, everybody else was living in something else. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm trying my hardest to be a good Mormon, but I can't be like these people who are ideal Mormons. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not true enough. Right. Right. Like you, you read the stuff. If you, if you read the stuff, you realize like, Oh, like we're doing this wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah yeah like if you if you care about it you become a fundamentalist like if you really and, believe it and that's like denver snuffers groups and the remnant movements and all these like hardcore breakoff group that's what's happening to them is they are bumping up against the simul the simulation of mormonism the hyper real is bumping up against the real and they're leaving it for the real yeah but i remember even thinking you know like for me, polygamy, I don't know if this is how you guys felt as well. I was, you know, in my 20s at the time when I was you know, really into the church and I was trying to follow all the rules. And I, and I really was, like you said, I was the same way. I really tried to believe this. I tried to take everything literally. Like, you know, these were prophets we had on earth. These were apostles. They were really, you know, communicating what Heavenly Father wanted us to know. And I remember just the polygamy thing even. It was like this taboo, right? Like, we don't do it now. But I remember with my ex-wife kind of joking. I'm like, well, you know that that's something that for the afterlife that really is kind of still up in the air. Like, and it would just kind of always be this issue that they would just not want to deal with. Like my ex would just kind of roll her eyes and be like, I don't really want to talk about that. You know? And it was, it was like, we all knew these fundamental things weren't really fully dismissed from the doctrine, even in the, you know, whatever the current Mormon church is today. But it's like, we just, it, I don't know. It was just such a weird mind state to have because it's like, you knew these things were considered to be fundamentalist ideologies of what, you know, that the church was built on, but they're really true gospel doctrines of the Mormon faith, I feel like, if you go back historically. But even like, you know, growing up in the church with the current version of like, you know, the cool Mormons, that I guess you call it, can distance themselves from all the, the fundamentalists. 
we'd still have those conversations at night, my ex and I, about these kind of, you know, like polygamy, things like that, that really we weren't denying were part of it. It's just we didn't talk about it and we just pretended like we'll put a placeholder in that and mm-hmm. that'll be just kind of an after after this, you know, life, we'll figure it out later. But it's yeah. not that it's not possibility still and it's not that we don't believe that. It's just we don't want to talk about it right now. We just want to distance ourselves from that. And yeah. It's such a weird way to live because it's like, well, then what is right? You know, like what is the, the letter of the law? Like, you know, and, and for me on my mission, I, I think what really hurt me and I still feel probably a lot of anger about and to this day, even though I know the church isn't true, is that feeling of just I gave so much of my life to the simulacra, I guess, from out of just mm-hmm. like my patriarchal blessing. I got that mm-hmm. before I left on my mission. And it talked very much about my mission and, and ways I would be prompted and, and inspired. And then, you know, I get on my mission and I'm trying to follow that, right? Like I'm trying to be in tune with, you know, quote the spirit. And I'm reading my patriarchal blessing. I'm going on every day and I'm following all the rules. But then if, you know, you have a week where you don't really have any amazing, you know, quote, spiritual experiences, you don't really find anyone to convert, then you start feeling guilt, right? Like, well, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Because clearly my experiences on my mission aren't in line with what I've been promised in my patriarchal blessing. And I'm doing everything right. I'm getting up extra early. I'm reading. And then, so I would do that. I'd even like get up more and do more things. I'd try and incorporate more faith type promoting, you know, things in my day. And it still would never line up with some of these things I was, you know, I guess like, like my patriarchal blessing things. I just never knew what was right. And I felt very confused a lot just because you almost suspend, I feel like your common sense, like your gut, your visceral reaction to how to approach things because you're, at least for me, you're like confusing it with all these things you're being told, how you should feel, how you should live your life, how should, how you should approach all this. And it's like this constant state of disconfusion, I feel like a lot of times. Yeah. I don't know. Like almost like knowing the church wasn't true was closure, was like, oh, thank God, now I have something concrete, you know, yeah. because it was just crazy for me trying to constantly be a good Mormon with all this fundamentalist stuff that we didn't talk about with all this, like, you know, the current versions of, I think, uh, I forgot his name, Dan something, he was like a companion to your study of the Book of Mormon, you know, like the church has so many ways that they truly keep you on that right path of, you know, only read this, but you're, and then you kind of think, well, I'm doing church history, I'm reading about historical concepts, I'm reading about, you know, history of scriptures, but, you know, you don't really appreciate that it's all very much whitewashed with the church's approach and what they want you to know, and so I think it's hard when you live as a Mormon, you dig into these things that you're supposed to be digging into, and not feel more confused with how to live your life because a lot of it's just so counterintuitive. I feel like at times too. Yeah. But yeah. And I, but I wished it was true. That's the thing I'm still sad about, you know, I really, I think mm-hmm. we're all probably like that, you know, I just, yeah. I think we all wanted it to be true. It's just, you know, we're, we're walking in the desert of the real. I don't know if we talked about this in the previous episode, but one, one thing that Baudrillard uses is this, um, this story. It was a Borge the guy who wrote it was named Borge and it, it was this fable about um, an, an empire that builds a map with a scale of a mile to a mile. Mm, yeah. And, and as the empire expands its territory, they add territory to the map. And as they, as they lose territory, they burn territory off of the map, but everybody starts to live in the map instead of in the empire. Mm. And then as the empire starts to fall apart, they describe in the deserts, there's these tatters of the map and, and they're now in the desert of the real and um, the map of Mormonism starts to become more important than the real of Mormonism. And as you, you know, as you realize that the map is just this fake map and never was, you're wandering around in this desert of reality now trying to rebuild a new map. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I Um, think, 
I think for a lot of people like the nuanced members, um, they realize <laughs> like it's not exactly true, right? Like it's a thing. It's a club they're a part of and it's where they've found their home. There's a lot of good reasons to stay uh, for a lot of people. And uh, for a lot of them, they realize that it's not real. They're, they're cypher in the, in the matrix, right? Like they right. want to, the steak's good. The steak's good. I want to eat real steak. I'm tired of eating slop. Yeah. I'd rather have this kind of imaginary dream of an eternal family, Yeah, you know, which itself is like a hyper reality of what Joseph Smith was doing with ceilings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but Hey, I'd like this hyper reality. There, there's one thing um, a nephew of mine brought up in Sunday school you know, something that happened was um, they were talking about the purpose of life. And they said, the purpose of life is for us to learn and grow. And then he asks this question like, okay, well, what happens if you die young? Oh, well, you'll have an opportunity to learn and grow in the next life. And he's like, then why do I need to learn and grow in this life? Mm -hmm. And I said to him, okay, according to Mormonism is the actual purpose of life to learn and grow. He's like, well, that's what they said. And I'm like, it's not, it never was. It's to be tested to see if you'll do all the things that the Lord God commands you. Learning and growing has nothing to do with it. Never has, never yeah. will. It's, it is a simulacra. The, this word and phrase of to learn and grow. Yeah. Everybody, I bet everybody listening right now heard some dumbass Sunday school teacher say the purpose of life is to learn and grow. Yeah. There's nothing in any Mormon teaching, you know, or scripture that says that it's about obedience, but they parrot it as if that is the purpose of life. And it's probably in a manual somewhere and it has now become the real. And I was explaining to him, I'm like, you, you see the problem that happens with these. I was explaining him the concept of simulation and simulacra mm -hmm. is that this simulacra has created a simulated reality. Yeah. Right. And it has nothing to do with the real teaching. And then you talk in circles yeah. because you're in this hyper real and you're not engaging with the real and nobody knows how, because nobody ever has opened the scriptures to find out what they actually say. You know, and so they're yeah. wondering what anything is. Um, yeah. Because I like that was something I was always dissatisfied with is people would parrot these answers. And I'm like, that, that's not in the book. But that's got nothing to do with anything. Why are we saying that? And then yeah. you're, you're like perpetually. That was what I found more and more frustrating <laughs> the longer I stayed in was I was like, people are saying all this stuff, but that's not what's in the book. Yeah. And I feel like there's a denial component with that sometimes, you know, like, because I, I try to have conversations with my family about things like, I feel like the Mormon church, and then maybe this is my experience, but I feel like if you go to a Mormon campus, like any of the BYU campuses or anything, I feel like there's a really big pressure to get married young. There's these status symbols, like who has an engagement ring on, they're walking around campus, you know, you know, having kids, all these things, all these pressures. But when I talk to my family about it, they act like, oh, well, no one ever forced you to get married so young. Yeah. And I think, you know, how many, then I go on Reddit and I, you know, the, the ex-Mormon sub and I'm like, holy cow, the stories I read of people who just, it's like reading my own story over and over again. I got pressure to get married too young. Help me. I'm, I'm stuck. You know, some people get mm -hmm. divorced. I feel lucky I got out of that horrible marriage. But there's people on there still who are like, I don't know what to do. You know, I have kids. I got married in my 20s. I don't like the person I'm with, but I, you know, I don't want to ruin my mm -hmm. marriage. Yeah. Now you think, man, like what a horrible thing to have to deal with. But it's like you get no validation because you talk to current members and all this kind of act like, well, you know, we, we encourage you to get married. We want people, mm -hmm. but no one forced you to make this horrible decision. That's your fault. And you're kind of like, well, okay. And then it's just like more, I feel like reason to beat yourself up for decisions you made that 
honestly, I mean, what type of what what scenario would you have had that type of social pressure outside being Mormon? You know, but mm-hmm. it's like no one takes any accountability for that at all, and it becomes like a cultural thing versus a doctrinal thing, right? And then you hear the phrase, at least I did. Well, the church is true despite the members. You're like, yeah, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I think that was our first episode was talking about how the uh, the members are perfect, the church is not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know how how it's 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 backwards, and uh, yeah, because like Mormons are really nice, well-meaning people, but they're caught up in the <laughs> simulation, you know, yeah. that convinces them of all these things. And yeah, everybody always says like nobody ever forced you. Nobody, you know, we didn't make you. When you go to the temple, nobody made you stay. Yeah. You could have left. It's like, yes, I could yeah. have stood up in a room with a closed door uh, where I've never been. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents drove me here. And maybe I'm far away from my home city, right? I can't just, like, transit home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I can stand up and, and walk out. Oh, yeah. And especially because... Nobody else is going to stand up and walk out because you're the only one going there for you that day. Everybody else has already gone through. Everybody else is doing this because they love Jesus and they want to save souls, right? Yeah. But we, like, yeah. we talk about this as if there's some kind of, like, sinister plan. But I think to a, a, a believing Mormon, there is this simulation that, no, we are agents unto ourselves. Yeah. And they genuinely do believe that you didn't have to get young married. You're an agent unto yourself. Yeah. Yeah. There are things here to act and things to be acted upon. Yeah. And, and we are not here to be acted upon. So you made your choice and they genuinely believe that. And they don't see the reality of the social pressure that gets created. Right. They don't. And, and so when you're talking to, to a member of the church, who's believing and I think that's why it gets harder the further away you get from the church is that you're trying to tell them in their reality, the sun is, the sun is blue, the sky is yellow. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to tell them, no, the sun is yellow, the sky is blue. And they're like, no, it's not. They're existing in the hyper real. Yeah. And you're not in the hyper real with them anymore. And so it's harder and harder, it gets harder and harder to explain it to them. Right. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so that's where I think it's, it's a little bit different it's easy to look in, 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 I think we'll get into this a little bit more in the next episode. I don't think there is a sinister plot within the church to control and manipulate people. It's just this hyper real, the system that they've created. It's a system perpetuating a system, right? Like you, you think, you think Democrats care about women's rights jokes on you. They care about not being the Republicans. If, (laughs) if if Donald (laughs) Trump woke up tomorrow and Mm -hmm. went out and said, actually, you guys, um, where we we actually support abortion, and all of his all of his evangelical friends were like, "Oh yeah, like rah rah, like we support abortion." I bet you the Democrats would be like, "But we don't." Like, this is one thing that Republicans love to tout is that Democrats were the southern southern slaveholders, right? And Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. Yeah. Right, and they're like, "See, Democrats are actually evil. We've always yeah. been on the right side of history." <laughs> right, right, right. Which, okay, it, that's like that's like the forty-year-old still uh, telling mission stories, like it was like the last great thing he did. You know, yeah. it's like it's like well, yeah, when I was on my mission, ago, I did this good thing. It's like, oh, where, what else have you done? Like, like, right, right, yeah. It's like, 
Good for you. That's, you know, that's like uh, Keith Raniere telling everybody when he was 11, he was a, a judo champion. It's like, okay, when you were 11, you're, you're like 30 something now. So what's, uh, what's going on? What, like what, what's, what's new with you? Um, yeah, we get further and like further. I'm still removed. beating up 11 year olds. What do you mean? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. He's like, and I, I'm still good when I fight those 11 year olds. Right. Well, right champ. <laughs> before, before we end this episode, um, Bishop had some really interesting insights on, um, the word of wisdom that I think, uh, should be shared. Cause we haven't talked about that one on air yet. Oh, well, just how like the, the modern word of wisdom in practice has nothing to do with the word of wisdom in Doctrine and Covenants section 89. Like if we were following it, the temple recommend questions would be like, have you eaten meat only in its season and in yeah. times of famine? And <laughs> like, yeah, go to one Mormon barbecue, go to one American barbecue, right? Yeah. Tell me how it's not just a smorgasbord and overload of meat yeah. everywhere, right? Yeah. Um hot drinks and there's a lot of jokes that get made about this like what is a hot drink in mormonism it's like you can drink caffeine if it's cold but not if it's cold coffee it has to be you know an energy right. drink or cola <laughs> but you know so is it word of wisdom is it about caffeine no but yes but no but and um i know even, that was something me and my wife would argue about like cold tea versus hot tea and i'd be like but you can't drink tea and she'd be like well it's cold tea and it's natural this is like green tea is like natural and good for you. That's what the doctor says. So yeah. it's not hot drinking. I'm like, but you can't, it's tea. You know, and we'd have this big argument over tea versus coffee and, <laughs> and cold versus hot drinks. And I mean, barley drinks, you're allowed to drink and wine of, if it's of your own making. So if you make wine at home, according to the scripture, you're all good. But according to the simulation, you can't drink any wine whatsoever. You know, when they talk about strong drinks, i.e. hard, hard liquor, you know, but beer being legit barley drinks, i.e., you know, drinks made from grains, um, are okay. And tobacco, like they'd be like, oh, you know, have you used tobacco to treat the bruises on your cattle? <laughs> you, uh, I don't have any cattle. Well, I'm not so sure if you're uh, following word of wisdom. That reminds me <laughs> yeah. um, in the office, and I, I think this will this will be where we wrap it up. Is on an office reference. Um, when they had an intervention for Meredith's alcoholism, um, she, she's sitting there and Michael, Michael is asking these, these questions about like, uh, have you ever harmed anyone while you've been drunk? How often do you drink? And then it says, have you ever questioned the teachings of the Mormon church while under the influence of alcohol? And they're like, where did you get these questions? He's like, I found them on the internet. And uh, I, I thought that was great. And I think this episode has been great. Uh, thank you, Brother Porter, for joining us. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, especially in your busy schedule, assassinating people for the Lord. And, I'm taking the weekend um, off. Oh, that's really that's really righteous of you. Hopefully things don't get too out of control out there. Um, but uh, and Bishop Jensen, thank you for presiding. You are so handsome and uh, and helpful to this Ward family, keeping us together. And uh, next week, you'll definitely want to tune in on this. Uh, so uh, we've got part three coming up next week. And uh, yeah, okay. I guess uh, in the in the name of um, a representation of a representation of a representation of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yep.